1: Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, if they can make gummy vitamins, then why don't they just put vitamins in all the candy? You know, Erin,
2: that's a very good, very good question. I don't know why. But they can,
1: so they should. They should. I would be a superhero if they put vitamins in like Reese's Pieces. Or even just lifesavers. Oh my gosh, vitamin lifesavers are a great idea. Right? I agree. Let's do it.
2: Erin, we're solving the world's problems one episode at a time.
1: (laughs) We truly are. This week, Dana Schwartz and Kieran Deal join us to tackle the following questions. How does Congress turn a $2,000 COVID relief check into a hearty slap on the ass and a fuck you? What did AOC accomplish with her 90-minute account of what happened during the Capitol insurgency on January 6th? And why are three of us wearing red berets? All this and more right now. All right, let's get started with the news. There's a lot of news. Once again, it never gives us a week off. So we got to talk about it. I guess so. Let's get started with the COVID relief package. Mm. Alyssa, I have a bit of a rant to start this off. and Please, therapize. Okay. It seems like what should happen is that Americans need money. Yes. That seems like the simple thing based on the fact that the pandemic was really um, disastrous. Is really. Is really, yeah. But, but, you know, last year really cut a chunk off out of a lot of people's incomes. Um, a lot of women left the workforce. A lot of people now have to be uh, homeschool tutors in addition to being full-time employees if they still have their jobs. It's just a disaster for a lot of people. Um, the White House and President Biden's plan for COVID relief is a $1.9 trillion package um, that includes um, stimulus checks for people that start to phase out at $75,000 income a year and uh, are $150,000 a year in combined income for couples. Um, Okay. Republicans, 10 Senate Republicans who consider themselves moderate, countered with essentially like a bag of already chewed gum, and an, and an atlas from when the USSR was still a country, like it, it, is that right? It's a six hundred eighteen billion dollar plan that starts phasing out stimulus checks at fifty thousand dollars, and it calls for more targeting of stimulus checks. So here's the thing that makes me like very confused. Mm-hmm. In addition to all of it, um, the six hundred eighteen billion dollar counter offer done by the Concern Caucus, led by St- Susan Collins. It To me, first of all, it's, gr- it's gross. There's no state and local aid. But second of all, targeting, targeting aid checks is based on a year that happened before the pandemic. People have not filed their 2020 taxes Correct. yet. So hyper-targeting of aid checks would be for people who in 2019 made $50,000 a year or less. Like, what the fuck? Is this the dumbest possible way to do this?
2: I have another rant of my own. So you saw in the GOP proposal they zero out state and local funding. They take the the Biden plan which has 170 billion dollars dedicated to K through 12, colleges and universities. They zero that out. Here's why this is so bad because and I want when possible when something Triggers me, old brain. I like to share it with our listeners. Here's why it's such a big deal states, state budgets cannot operate in deficits. So, what is happening now is states have lost hundreds of millions of dollars from the pandemic. From, think about it, months ago, back in March and April, when schools were like, shit, we're going to have to go remote. What are we going to do? So, they have to buy, rightly, especially like where I live, I know this happened, they buy iPads or computers for all the kids that have to work from home. Because a lot of them can't afford it and they need to make sure everybody has a level playing field. Well, where does anybody fucking think that money comes from? It comes from uh, laying people off. It comes from uh, canceling all the sports that may ever happen at this school. And so what people don't understand and what the Republicans are totally glossing over is that it's it just becomes a Rob Peter to pay Paul scenario. The departments of health in your state which are responsible for administering the vaccines, same budgets, same still can't operate in deficits. And so this is just fucking garbage. This made me so, so mad because hes they are literally just do it to screw New York and California and big states, which also include Texas and Florida. I don't know where they're getting their fucking money, but fuck them.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really disturbed. I'm super disturbed by that. I'm also really disturbed by the lobbying that's going on um, to try to lower stimulus checks from yeah. from organizations like the Chamber of Commerce. Um, the Chamber of Commerce says that, literally came out and said that uh, house, a majority of households with less than $50,000 in income have experienced a loss in employment income, but a majority of households with more than $50,000 income have not experienced any loss in earned income. What? It's garbage, and they have nothing to base that
2: on. Like, where is all of this information coming from, Chamber of Commerce? Because no one's asked me if I'm still gamefully employed. I'm not. <laughs> if it weren't for hysteria, I'd really be up shit's jam creek. And so, it's like, I don't know who they're asking. I don't know where they're getting their information. And also, I actually, not that long, just this past week, signed on to a letter that former Obama officials were getting on board with, which was to say that in a crisis like this, doing less is so, too little rather, is so catastrophically worse than doing too much. Mm-hmm. And that is the fast track that we are on if the Republicans get anything that they want here.
1: Yeah, I just, I, I'm I'm just like, so, it also, here's another thing that really bothers me about this. Um, it it really obtusely treats America as though the cost of living is the same everywhere. And like $50,000 in income in my hometown of Frederick, Wisconsin, gets you a fuckload more than $50,000 in income in New York City. And there are people in New York City who are trying to live on $50,000 a year income. Actually the the New Yorker uh is in trouble for suggesting uh that they should start their staffers at a $45,000 right. a year floor. So like that. people live in my first my first uh yearly income when I lived in New York City when I was working uh, for a when I was writing for the first time it was $45,000 a year. And that was like 8 years ago, 9 years ago. Um it's uh yeah, it's it's it, it's totally different. And like Joe Manchin of West Virginia, pain in our ass, going to be a pain in our ass until he is inevitably voted out. No matter what he does, he's probably going to be voted out in twenty twenty four. I think he should just go hog wild, and just <laughs> like like a, get rid of the filibuster, like light some shit on fire before he's voted out. But he, whatever, he's he's going to just be meek and, and terrible when he's voted out, and screw all the other Democrats while he's there. Um, Who just got Democrats the Senate? Theoretically, even though Mitch McConnell is not totally yielding the Senate to Democrats. Georgia. Georgia voters did. Yes, 100%. I was going to say Stacey Abrams, but yeah, all of Georgia. Right. Stacey Abrams, who got people in Georgia to show up and vote. Um, And the people in Georgia who showed up and vote and really put Warnock and Ossoff over the top and thereby handed Democrats the Senate are people in Atlanta and surrounding areas where— Uh, $50,000, like phasing out stimulus checks at a $50,000 income gets people fuck all. Like Joe Manchin seriously wants to give a middle finger to the people that handed his party the Senate. Also, not for nothing, the stimulus
2: checks are $1,400. We're not talking about them giving people $5,000 checks and they're really trying to jumpstart people, you know, back on their feet. It's $1,400. The Republicans, it's $1,000. So no thank you. No thank you. I mean, how, like, the, the problem is is that the GOP proposal just literally ignores some of the biggest crises that we're facing. No rental assistance. So it's great. We've talked about this a gazillion times that the moratorium on evictions has been extended. But, like, people just end up with 12 months of rent left to pay at the end of that. It hasn't gone away. It hasn't vaporized. And so if they don't do something about it, going
1: to be a really fucking big problem. Yeah, it's
2: it's
1: a, it's really it's it's really gross. And yeah, $1,400 a month is like barely rent in a lot of places. You can't live in uh, New York City in most uh, parts of the city of Chicago on $1,400 a month rent. It is like egregiously small. Also like, look, Warnock and Ossoff campaigned on a $2,000 promise. And I, I'm going to say, I don't love this kind of back backtracking. Being like, "Well, actually, you did get the six hundred dollars." No, give people the full two thousand dollars that you fucking campaigned on. I agree. I gotta be in my
2: bonnet, Alyssa. It's but it's the right B, You know, I'm sorry, but we're on the right side of history on this one. It's like people just can't. This is not social Darwinism. <laughs> like, like people need to be helped. And even here in upstate New York, fourteen hundred dollars does not get you that much. That is mm-hmm. that is that is rent of a one- or two-bedroom apartment.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and in, if you look, work in an industry where a lot of people are freelance or gig workers, like in entertainment, for example, Los Angeles is— I don't think we totally understand the extent to which this city is being gutted right. culturally because of this. Because a lot of people who work in entertainment— They're not, you know, high paid actors. They're not super high paid, you know, producers and like head writers and shit. There are people who are PAs and they work in crews and there are struggling actors and they're they're writers who are just trying to get their start. And they came out here and they were supplementing their income by working where? In food service, in in entertainment, and every possible way for them to make money is closed down. I know more than one person who worked in entertainment and was like, you know, a working actor, but not not by any means a rich person, just getting by as an actor who've moved home. Like, the people that are going to be left here in California after this is done, or in in Southern California, specifically in entertainment, um, are going to be people who already could afford to right. take a year off of earning money. And it's like, it's very disturbing. Uh, music, uh, all the arts, like they're they're being fucking gutted. And it's, the the Republican proposal, if I think about it too much, I start to get, you know, that like, um, you've seen the movie I get Clued, the eye right? twitch. I get flames, flames on the side of my face, like Madeline Kahn in the movie Clue. Like I'm, it makes me so mad. Um, we are going to keep talking about this because- Oh, we're not done. We're 100% not done, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to just accept whatever Democrats get unless it is what they campaigned on and unless it is what they promised, because what they campaigned on, honestly, is just sometimes barely enough. Well, and also, not only that,
2: Aaron, this isn't some moral philosophical victory Democrats want. This is literally keeping people alive. This mm-hmm. isn't, you know, this isn't the filibuster. This isn't a, a SCOTUS appointment. This is fucking life. This mm-hmm. is life, and this, and and we are in for a rude awakening if people skate by doing the bare minimum for people this time around.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's really, really strong vibes. Uh, these laws are being negotiated by people who don't know how much anything costs. Correct. Like who 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 don't go grocery shopping for themselves, who have never had to make sure they have enough money at the end of the month, who have never worried about money, and it's just, it, it's like it's it's gross and um i think we're going to talk more about her later in the show but i think back to how republicans like to make fun of aoc because yeah. she used to work as a bartender dude you should be embarrassed by the fact that you're making fun of the fact that somebody who's actually in touch with reality is in congress because more people who are in touch with reality should be not for nothing especially
2: as it relates to the gig economy the republican proposal for $1000 a month does Dick, if you need to buy your own health care.
1: Oh yeah, that's basically you're just feeding it
2: to. That's it. They just took it back. I mean, that's that's it. That's that is that is literally a thousand dollars a month. Basically, gets you the catastrophic plan. Like if you get hit by a bus, they will take you to the ER.
1: Yeah, it is a plan to funnel that money straight to insurance companies, yeah. which, by the way, shouldn't exist because we should have single payer health care. Insurance Aaron, companies. We're are- going deep into socialism. We're. <laughs> I've, I've been <laughs> radicalized. I'm telling you, know me. I, I've I have been I've been radicalized economically by the last couple of years because I I really see that like you know look I don't I don't want to I don't want to fuck with you know totally eliminating the free market or getting anywhere close to it. But there are certain <laughs> things that we need to provide um, because when people's basic needs are not met, it stymies innovation. It stymies people taking risks. It's sti- like when the world gets more worked up about Game Stock
2: Reddit people <laughs> making some money than they do about cutting in half the amount of money that would barely cover people's expenses for a month, we've got
1: some problems. We've got some problems. Um, And, and the problems apparently have not quite sunk in specifically to one group that I want to talk about now. Let's talk about them. So, Alyssa, last mm. night, uh, Politico posted a story about um, some former Donald Trump political appointees (laughs) who are having a hard time. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to just, I'm just going to read the first couple, I'm going to read the lead of this political story. And I just, I want everyone listening at home to imagine a violin playing as I read this. Okay? A teeny tiny one. A tiny one, the smallest one you can imagine. An atomic, a violin made out of a single atom. After four years in the Trump administration, Vanessa Ambrosini was looking forward to three months of parental leave when she and her husband welcomed a baby a week before Christmas. The Commerce Department's Human Resource Office had given her approval for it, but then she was surprised to find that the benefit was no longer available because of the change in administration. "'I got completely screwed,' she said in an interview. "'There were no caveats in that language "'saying anything about if the administration turns, "'you get nothing, and of course, that happened, "'and so I got nothing.'" Has this bitch never quit a job before?
2: What a dumb asshole. What the— Also, she worked in government for four fucking years. She didn't know this was going to happen. Literally the reason none of these people should have been in government. (laughs) You
1: you quit a job, you don't continue continue to enjoy the benefits of the job. That's not how it should be. It should be that we have a nationwide guaranteed paid parental leave for everybody. 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 It should be, but it's not. And here's part of the reason why it's not, Vanessa, because of the fucking party you worked for. Because of your boss. Here's why it's not. Sorry, bitch, you quit your job. You don't get to take paid leave on the job that you just got fired from. Do these people—have these people ever had real jobs? And
2: here's the other thing, though, just to sort of shove it back up her ass, is that if they hadn't denied the outcome of the election for so long and the transition hadn't been delayed by so many weeks, she would have known this information a lot sooner. Though the good Lord should have helped her find her way on this because it's—as White House Deputy Chief of Staff, I can tell you, it's— pretty clear. This is this is not uh, this shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. But you right. know what? Remember a couple weeks ago when we uh, when we had Essie Cup on and we were talking mm-hmm. about Megan McCain and how after she needed parental leave, she realized how much everyone should have it and we were like, you know what? If people find God on this, we welcome them in. Mm-hmm. This dingbat. <laughs> This dingbat at commerce, girl, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split it. Like, this, <laughs> goodbye to you. You are so dumb. And also, she's going to be just fine. Like, the whining and complaining, could you imagine, Erin, just imagine for a minute, giving that give, interview to a reporter? <laughs>
1: That is the dumbest—there's a lot of people who are in this piece that, like, wouldn't go on the record because of fear of retribution, and that is a is a level of canniness that I respect. But another thing that's very funny about Vanessa Ambrosini um, and her complete shock at the fact that she no longer gets to be paid to, to stay home from a job that she doesn't have anymore— Doesn't exist um, anymore. Yeah. she uh, Parker Malloy on Twitter pointed out okay. that her husband is a high-ranking Michigan GOP official— and when her, you know, when they had a newborn, he was one of the main guys fighting against the certification of the Michigan election results. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Like, the, you— Everybody should have parental leave. Everybody, everybody should have 12 weeks of parental leave. And Alyssa, you pointed, me out, pointed this out to me this morning um, when we were texting about this. Um, The one good thing that Ivanka Trump actually did when she was working in the White House was push to enable federal employees 12 weeks of parental leave. This was a law that just got passed and enacted in 2019. So this isn't even a benefit that, like, these people— she's been working for Donald Trump for four years. When she came in, this benefit didn't exist. Correct. Not an expectation. (laughs) No. But, I I mean, like, look— This is not me being like, ha-ha, now you don't get paid and you have to stay home with your baby. But like, it is ha-ha that like you are reaping the fruits of what you hath sown, you know? And also, it just goes to show, this is what you and I have always said, though.
2: A complete and utter lack of empathy. Because when this was happening to other other people, she didn't care. (laughs) Mm-hmm. This wasn't something that kept her up. She wasn't at the doorstep of the White House three years ago saying, this, you need to do this. No, when she got pregnant, it was important. Fine, fine. But she's still not saying it should be for everybody. She's literally on the record saying it should be for me. Uh, Republicans love
1: it when— they get to have stuff, but not other people. That's Correct. really that's really it. They want to be in the VIP section for everything. And you know what? Everybody should get paid parental leave. It is egregious that we don't have it here. Totally. Um, but it is not egregious that if somebody has to experience the bad consequences of a lack of a parental leave policy that is nationwide, it is not the worst thing in the world that those people experiencing those consequences, in some cases, used to work for Donald Trump. I don't think it's that bad. I'm gonna I'm gonna side with you on this one. I'm gonna. Say, I'm good with ah, this. I'm okay. actually I'm actually good with this. I I hope for uh, Vanessa's sake and for the sake of the nation that she takes the, a lesson from this and becomes really energized in favor of promoting nationwide parental leave. But she doesn't seem smart enough to quite realize that that's what she should be doing. So no, she just wants to be mad. Prove me wrong, Vanessa. <laughs> prove me wrong. I will. I will. I will eat raw meat on camera again if you <laughs> no. become a, we'll a parent. We'll do something else. You just don't want to watch me do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get, like, worms or something. It's no, kind of no, no. Miraculous that that didn't happen. Um, okay, so one final short-ish segment, because I don't want to spend too much time committing this person's name to my brain cells. But Marjorie Taylor Greene, a representative from Georgia, um, is a problem. She's a problem. She's She's a fucking asshole. She's a problem. But here's the thing. Um, Okay, Marjorie Taylor Greene, QAnon conspiracy theorist, uh, tons of videos of her out there following the parents of children who were murdered in school shootings, yelling at them that the murder was not real. Um, She has uh, called publicly for the execution of her co-workers— before they were her coworkers but she's called for the the execution of Nancy Pelosi armed insurrection she is from a very rural very white or she is she represents a very rural very white district in Georgia but you know where Marjorie Taylor Greene is from she's not some poor hick she is a rich suburban hick mm. who came from Georgia's 6th which is Lucy McBath's district right. and ran in uh the district where she eventually won because it was easier for her cuz somebody was retiring yeah. So here's the thing. Marjorie Taylor Greene, very—is she the new face of the Republican Party? And do we—or is she just the old face with its makeup removed? You know, that is an existential question I'm not sure
2: that we uh, can even solve. I feel like the Republicans need to tell us. It's up to them. They need to say, we do not stand—I don't—do you know I refuse to say her name right? I say it different every single time. I'm going to look at it. Marjorie Taylor Greene.
1: Marjorie Taylor Greene. Jonathan Taylor Greene. Marjorie Taylor Thomas. That's what I keep doing. That's what I keep doing. (laughs) You keep doing home improvement? I did home improvement, kid, like twice.
2: (laughs) You know what else I forgot? I forgot she said that, like, no planes flew into the Pentagon on 9-11. Like, please, please make every Republican—you know this is my favorite game to play. Make every Republican state on the record, whether they're with her or against her. And if they're against her, they have to say why, because it can't just be because she makes it awkward for them.
1: Yeah, I, the the thing is, like, they were afraid. Um, they're afraid of her before the election because Donald Trump liked her so much. But now they're afraid of her for other reasons because they're afraid of their own constituents. Republicans are. Um, but I think that, like, look, I do not want national treasures like Cory Bush mm. and AOC and Ayanna Pressley and Katie Porter. And to be honest, Nancy Pelosi, who's the best legislator since LBJ, I don't want them to have to work with a dangerous lunatic. Totally. I don't don't want them to have to to deal with worrying about her. But at the same time, if there was some way to possibly put Marjorie Taylor Greene in a, like, holding cell, like the one they put Magneto in, in the (laughs) X-Men, if they were able to put her there and keep her in Congress and let her vote from there and stuff, politically, it is pretty good for Democrats— that she is now the face of the Republican party totally cuz Nancy Pelosi wouldn't be saying her name so much she's a, she's a first she's a freshman congressperson she's a nobody who, she has no power all she's doing is like getting attention for herself at the expense of the needs of her constituents because you right. know that district in Georgia is not getting dick after mm. this <laughs> so i hope for the sake of the safety of congress people and their staff that she is successfully isolated. Um, But I hope for the sake of 2022 that her name stays in the headlines. Because Me too. I hope
2: all they have to do is just get her one of those igloos that they're using on the streets of New York and just put her inside and she can just stay there wherever they want to put her. And they should just roll her around so she can vote. And then that's it.
1: Human-sized hamster ball because she's also germy as fuck, won't wear a mask, uncovering her nose, like spewing her spit all over. Like, Does she honestly... Like, if we told Republicans that you could spread COVID by picking your nose and rubbing it on things, so please don't pick your nose and rub on rub it on things, they would go around, because they're so gross, picking their nose and fucking rubbing it on things. Marjorie Taylor Greene, digging for gold in her nostrils. That's why we need to have her in a hamster ball if she's going to remain in Congress. Otherwise, probably kick her out just for everybody's safety. That's That felt good. That felt really good. Um Do we have any toasts
2: or roasts? I don't know. How do you feel? Do you feel toasty or roasty?
1: Um, I do feel, let's see. Let's see what we had. Oh, yeah. Stacey Abrams. We mentioned her. A toast to Stacey Abrams. She's been nominated for this year's Nobel Peace Prize for her work to promote nonviolent change via the ballot box, which is super cool.
2: God, Literally, when they say "God save the queen," I put Stacy in that category now too. God save Stacy.
1: Yeah, she's she's American royalty for sure. She she's up there, and also you know it's. I think a lot back to the time that we got to interview her on the show, and how just like unbelievably warm and brilliant she Generous. is. Generous,
2: I mean, just like the bee's knees.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. If she doesn't win the peace prize, she wins the official bee's knees award, which is. An award that you just made up. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Um, you know what, Alyssa? Hmm. I want to bring something up. So over the course of the show, a kind of growing chorus of our listeners have been uh, weighing in on your storytelling. Mm-hmm. They love it. And we kind of have joked around about having your story time with Alyssa being a new segment of the show— and seeing as, you know, the entire East Coast got dumped on by snow and that you worked for the White House during a couple of noteworthy weather events, I was thinking this week might be a great time for the inaugural story time with Alyssa And now it's story time with Alyssa.
2: Aaron, you know I love a good story that makes people feel warm about the people who worked in the White House and now we have the Biden people and they're great. But my favorite snow story was back from the very beginning 2009. When we were going to, Barack Obama was going to, this is like what always, this is the drama that I miss in life because the Copenhagen Climate Change Summit was happening and it's like, we're going, we're not going, we're not going to go unless there's almost a deal and we're there to seal the deal, blah, 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 blah. So we find out a few days out that that the deal, it's getting close. And so Barack Obama's like, let's fucking go to Copenhagen. So uh, we're getting ready to go to Copenhagen and I'm like, "Mm,
0: so, mm."
2: Air Force One weather team's telling me there's a storm coming. It'll be fine, Alyssa. This is what everyone always said to me. It'll, Alyssa, you'll figure it out. So we get on the plane. <laughs> we go to Copenhagen. We are – like, it's so funny because the more I thought about this, some weird shit happened. So they're doing this summit. There are only so many places for us to stay. So we end up – we have no hotel rooms for the night because we're flying in for the day so we can seal the deal on this summit. We end up holding in what is essentially like the White House staff holds in what is essentially a gap. Only the jeans are taken out and it's just mannequin bodies everywhere. And that's where we spent the whole day. Mm-hmm. This is a true that's story. very spooky. Yes. Only to then have after we were there for a few hours and General Jones, who was our national security advisors, was like, do you think anybody's got wine around here? Well, he found some. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, General Jones, comes back. He's like, I found some bottles. So everyone's (laughs) kind of like hanging out, waiting for Barack Obama to come back. Out of nowhere, Hillary Clinton, Secretary Clinton, comes over to me. Alyssa, where are the Indians? And I was like, I don't know. Aren't the Indians still here? And she's like, no, because they were part of the big, the big negotiation was among the Brazilians, the Chinese, the Indians, and the South Africans. And I'm like, I don't know. So I go to the Secret Service guys. I'm like, hey, can you find out where the Indians are? And they're like, the Indians are at the airport. And Hillary's like, God damn it. And so all of this drama is unfolding. Robert Gibbs comes down and he's like, Alyssa, do you know where Obama is? I was like, I don't know where Obama is. He's like, how do you not know? I was like, I don't know. The military aide comes over to me and he's like, ma'am, the snowstorm bearing down on on Washington, D.C., is dropping two inches of snow an hour. If we don't leave in like the next hour and 15 minutes, we're not going to be able to leave. And as I said earlier, we have no hotel rooms. We have nothing. So I go find Gibbs. I was like, hey, when you find Barack Obama, you got to tell him we got to get going, wrap this shit up. Otherwise, we're going to get stuck here with no hotel rooms. So all of a sudden, Secret Service comes to me, and they're like, uh ma'am. Near as we can tell, uh, the president of the United States just uh, busted into a secret meeting with the Indians, (laughs) the South Africans, and the Brazilians. I was like, okay. They're like, but we got to go. <laughs> so I make my way up the room. I see the advanced guys. Everybody is dripping sweat because Barack Obama has gone rogue. <laughs> he busted in. The retelling to me was that – because uh, Wen Ji Bao, who was the uh, <laughs> prime minister, president of China, whatever the fuck it is, he, he's in there – Obama opens the door and is like, hey, when are you ready for me? I mean, crazy, crazy (laughs) stuff. Hillary's like getting in there. Robert Gibbs is being kept out by the Indians. He busts his way in. (laughs) Meanwhile, the snow is coming. So I start getting everybody just loaded up. So the minute Obama's done, the military guys come to me and they're like, Alyssa, God is my witness. If we are not wheels up in 25 minutes, we are fucking stuck here. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. Got it. So I go back... Barack Obama's like, I need 15 more minutes. I was like, okay. I'm like, you guys, he needs 50 more minutes. He's president of the United States. We (laughs) finally get everybody loaded on the plane. We take off the faster and harder than I ever have. We get in the plane. We're all high-fiving. We're having a drink. We're having dinner. We're like, we're American heroes. Look what we got done today. We're about 45 minutes out from Andrews Air Force Base. And they're like, so airport's basically about to close, and uh, we can kind of kick it up, and we can land hard and fast, was what they said. Oh, well, no. We can land hard and fast. Otherwise, we're going to end up, like, we can't even land in any of the surrounding airports within 150 miles because the weather's so bad. <laughs> Barack Obama's like, it's going to be fine, Alyssa. It is fine. Everyone's always like, it's fine. So they come back, and they're like, sir, to President Obama, because he was hanging out with us. They're like, ah, uh, we're going to need you to put your seatbelt on. And we're like, oh, oh. shit, okay. Aaron, I have never in my life, when they said hard and fast, <laughs> it was like nothing I've ever, it was like, gunk, 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 And it was like white knuckles, you name it. We landed. Secret oh Service took him off and we ended up taking a two hour drive back, uh, low and slow. Oh my D.C. God. To get in.
1: So oh there my you God.
2: go. That is my oh snow my story. And it is documented in Politico and Hillary Clinton's book because it was that great a story. <laughs> and that was Storytime with
1: Alyssa. Oh my God! Okay, let's uh, <laughs> let's take a yep. quick break, and uh, when we come back, we're gonna talk about AOC's Instagram Live with a couple mm. of our panelists. And Alyssa, thank you so much for that story time. Erin, I bring I bring the magic when I can. <laughs> Okay, we're back. We have reached the part of the show where Alyssa and I are joined by two of our pals. I'm going to bring both of them into the conversation right away because we have a lot to get to today. First, she is a writer of books,
0: blogs, and television. It's Dana Schwartz. Hey, thanks for having me. How have you been, Dana? Uh, good. We were just commenting I'm in a closet right now that I wallpapered with peel-and-stick wallpaper, so that was my my latest project. We are
1: all turning into, like, We're all nesting. The pandemic is like forcing
0: us all to nest. Exactly. That's it. It's like, I'm spending so much time at home and I'm just like, what can I do? What can I change?
3: Your next book is Reluctant Nester. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The Reluctant Nester.
1: I remember the first time I realized I was nesting was like, I bought a hamper that was nice. A big improvement over my like collegiate hamper. And I like for days was like, I just feel great about this hamper. <laughs> great about it. And I was like, oh man, I've, I'm not cool anymore.
3: The hamper is it. Cause my hamper is still shitty. Cause it's one of those things you're like, ah, it's just to put the clothes in to go down to the laundry room. So when you upgrade on that, you've, you're full blown. You're full blown, like married wife, adult in a home now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. A good hamper is a real sign of adulthood. Um, Whereas, like, no curtains on your windows, a sign of problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to bring it—you're you, he- you're hearing her talk right now. She is a director, writer, comedian, actor. She has a short film called I Would Never that is—it's up for award consideration, right?
3: Yeah, it's FYC, which means, like, four-year consideration for the Oscars. So if there's any voters, guys, please, please come well, check well, it out. This is
1: Kieran Deal. Kieran Deal, you guys it's know her. You love her. It's Kieran Deal. It's Kieran Deal. Hi, guys. You know her. Hello. Love her. No wallpaper here. No wallpaper, wallpaper, but curtains. I see a curtain in the background. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So Kieran, I want to start with you. So this, this week, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did an Instagram live about her experience in the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, when pro-Trump rioters broke in and just, just caused a menace. Um, AOC has said in the past that she felt like her life was threatened and uh this was the most in-depth she'd ever gone in into what happened that day. She also said during the um the Instagram live which by the way was watched by 3.6 million people total. That's wild. wild. It was I think it was live watched by like 100,000 but since it's been watched by three, 150 150,000 3.6 million people have now seen it. More people have seen this than watch most TV shows. Um she she said at the beginning of the, of the video that she is a survivor of sexual assault, and she talked about trauma and how trauma doesn't just go away. It sort of compounds every time something bad happens to you. And Karen, I just watched your short film last night, which deals a lot with trauma. And I would love to hear, as somebody who's kind of been artistically making stuff about trauma, how you received AOC's Instagram Live and what it told you, you yeah, how it kind of like in, how it fed into your understanding of trauma.
3: Yeah. I, the fact that she was that, so the short film has to do with like, it centers like Me Too themes and it's over the course, Erin, you were telling Alyssa about it. It's like, it centers over the course of an evening. It's like two friends who like start together. They're, you know, they're lawyers and they're studying and they're friends and it's flirty. And then they hook up. And then the next morning is kind of where like an assault style situation happens, but it's really subtle. And like, and the, and he, and I think you, I love the way you actually described it when just before we started when you're like, and then he gets upset and she's upset. And then he's like, don't be upset. But it's like, it's all very, like there's a lot of words unsaid. It's a lot of space that's unsaid. And, and what I found really moving about AOC is that she was able to articulate that space so well like she was able to articulate a space of of what the subjective narrative experience is like of a thing because i think it's very easy to look at now we're in the past it's like the capital thing happened she's a very powerful woman like oh you're fine it was just a police officer who came through the door it's no big deal but the reality is that she's living it in real time while it's happening so for her to walk us through point by point what she experienced, how she experienced it in real time, when it was unfolding, not knowing what's happening. That, I think, I really appreciated her play by play of what was going on in her brain. Because a lot of times when it comes to stories of trauma, I think that that subjective narrative experience is what's missing. I think people don't understand what it looks and feels like from the side of the table of the person going through that experience. And that's what I found so compelling about you know, kind of her framing of her testimony.
1: Mm -hmm. Dana, um, did you watch the video and, and, you know, what what are your reactions as like a human as you've processed what she went through? I,
0: I didn't watch it live, but I did watch it afterward. And I was just, you know, honestly floored by this amazing line that AOC walks so brilliantly. I feel like for so many women in power, they're, for so long, there's needed to be that sort of like ice queen wall, like the the Iron mm. Lady effect of like, if you're a powerful woman, you have to almost act like a man in certain ways and like, or uh, act, act in more stereotypically masculine ways and withholding your emotions and and dressing more masculine. And I just thought it was so refreshing to be able to see a strong female leader be a human being express mm-hmm. her feelings and be honest and, and feel like she's leveling with us. I thought, I mean, it was just really, um, I'm trying, I'm, it's a struggle to use like positive characteristics because she's obviously talking about something so emotionally affecting, but for so many women who have gone through similar traumas, um, it was really heartening and, and, uh, you know, Brave, brave sounds so reductive, but really brave of her to speak that vulnerably, and I thought it was brilliant.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa, during uh, her Instagram Live, AOC name checked a few people. Uh, what did you What did you make of the fact that she went into Katie Porter's office? Can you describe a little bit about uh, how Iona Presley helped her, and, and what that tells you about women who that are in was? Politics? I mean, that's just
2: like you know she and ayana presley they carpooled to work that morning uh, together and it was the the whole the thing that i found so overwhelming cuz i started as soon as i got the notification aoc is going live i watched the whole thing and um one the fact that the way that she talks about it you see them as real people you know, like, you see you see members of Congress as people who can't be hurt. Like, even that morning when my friends and I, who had all worked together in the White House, were watching this, we were kind of watching it. Like, it was this zany thing happening because we're like, it's the Capitol. It's like the safest building on earth. Nothing's going to happen to them. And so as things did happen, like, and you hear also, so one, they had been told to get to... The office gets to the Capitol by 9 a.m. She and Ayana were running late. You know, Ayana takes her to her office. She's in there with just her chief of staff. Uh, AOC's basically had her entire staff work from home. So it's just uh, her one aide that's with her. And when this all starts to happen, I mean, it's amazing to hear her tell you how the aide was like, fucking run, like go hide. Like I've, I'll got, I got this, like go run. They go to find uh, a friend of theirs on the fifth floor. They're not there. She ends up running into Katie Porter. And here was the most interest not most interesting, but something that was very interesting to me, was listening to AOC tell the story. And then the next day, Katie Porter was interviewed about mm. AOC's Instagram Live. And she tells the story. She's like, and I was in my office because Katie Porter was very unaware of what was happening uh, she had not heard the banging that AOC heard you know, the, on her office door. So Katie Porter's kind of like, what's up? And AOC, she describes her, not pejoratively in any way, but as sort of like very tunnel vision manic, trying to find places to hide, chastising herself for wearing high heels and Katie Porter was kind of like, what's going on? Like, are you okay? And it turns out, I mean, she's not okay, but that is what happened. She went into, which I think she describes in the Instagram, as fight or flight, right? And she was, like, getting ready for the flight. and But also, it's the difference between, like, listening to her and hearing Katie Porter's description of her Mm. it's it is just this very like this is what was happening in her head this is what she was demonstrating externally and then you have someone who's not experiencing at all who's having like a little bit of a hard time relating kind of like we're gonna be okay I'm a mom we have food we're gonna be fine we can close our doors and she's like no dude like they're fucking coming for me and I think that's when it also became really real for Katie Porter when she in the retelling starts to get like pretty emotional when she's talking about it so I think that you know it's it's like a crazy, it's like not a caper. I don't mean a caper, but it's like there are all these characters involved in AOC's retelling, right? There are all these people that you know and and that you've seen on television, and this this really happened to them, right? This mm-hmm. isn't something that's just a story that's hyperbolic, like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz would like to make you believe. This, this really happened, and it was really fucking scary. And when she says to Katie Porter, when she says, don't worry— Katie Porter says, don't worry, I'm a mom. Like, I'll take care of you. And and AOC's like, I hope I just get to become a mom someday. I don't want to die today. And you're just like, it's a lot. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot for her to share. And so it's it's interesting people, what people's responses have been.
3: And that's informed on top of, like, the fact that when you think about there were those moments of, like, she was getting threats. Right. Like, her experience going into that was also she was getting threats. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people were – like kind of crowding her car. So she has a bunch of things going into there where it's like they're after you in right. addition to previous trauma that she's she's kind of dealing with and how that all informs the circumstances.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to to add that same thing, which was like AOC is like a big public enemy to these people. Like mm-hmm. she was an actual threat. These people threaten right. gruesome violence to her on the internet all the freaking time. And mm-hmm. once they broke into the Capitol, like- yeah, her fears were, at least to my mind, completely reasonable. Like, that makes sense. Like they would, these people were ready to do violence.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. She used the word disarming to talk about the way that she like, she's like, I like to think of myself as sort of disarming when people meet me in real life. (laughs) And it was like, I found that to be a really interesting, I don't think that she intended for that to be a pun, but like the idea that a person can, a woman In general, because I think about myself like that, too. Like, I'm disarming. If, you know, somebody thinks I'm mean because I'm mean online, they meet me in person, then I'm disarming. But it's like, what is the arming that I'm taking away from them? You know, like, by the idea that women can be nice and make people want to hurt us less is, like, something that she seemed to be touching on but not quite aware of what she was talking about. Although I do want to say... Um, AOC has definitely not been "quote unquote" nice about this. She is go, co- remaining public about it because she uh, believes that people who are responsible for stoking the rage that fueled the attack on January sixth need to face some consequences for it. Um, one thing that I uh, that I found to be that kind of resonated with me, especially when I watched your film, and it just seemed to be kind of like parallel things, Karen. So when so Ted Cruz tweeted something about wanting to uh, to, to do something about Robinhood with uh, with AOC like Robinhood the stock trading app whatever he he reached out to her online and she was like didn't you just ha- try to have me killed three weeks ago I will work with literally anyone else who is a Republican but not you you need to resign and then Chip Roy who's a representative who used to work for Ted Cruz. Uh, was like, you need to apologize. And that, to me, reminded me, Kieran, of the scene in your film where, like, your character experienced a non-consensual sex, sex act. Like, she, it was not consensual, and she's very upset, and the guy is the one who cries.
3: He's, he starts crying on her. Like, he starts crying on her, and then she's like, are you fucking... And you can see it on the face. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? But that, the... And, I guys just like for the audience like this was like weirdly synergistic that this was the topic that that you know that it relates so much to that film I would never but I I thought that too that it's it's the adding insult to injury that the culture is just one that like then it is okay for a man to then ask you to make him feel okay like not only is not only is the trauma of the individual the person that went through the thing dismissed but then on top of it it's one of the things where like now i'm i'm also responsible for taking care of your feelings and to watch that play out on a fucking national stage just to watch it play out with another woman who's just like it's just like this like kind of casual gaslighting and and it's it makes you aware like how much you as an individual or I as an individual you know minimize the things that happen to us because I remember even when she used the word trauma Aaron like initially i was like like i if i think it's a self preservation tactic that's like well that wasn't trauma like she was okay like it was just a capital police officer it's that gesture it's it's saying it in that way like oh it's fine but that's that's to that's to preserve your own way of being able to walk through the world and feel okay and feel safe cuz that was really fucked up what happened to her and then it's also fucked up that that after you are asked to apologize on behalf of that and the fact that she has the the metal to kind of call that out on such a national stage and be like, hey, this is messed up. And also this is messed up. And doing it in a way that's so, as Dana said, so elegant, where it she's able to do it where she doesn't sound, she's striking the perfect tone, which like, you know, so she's the one who experienced the thing. Now she has to strike the perfect tone and also like check the person who is asking her to apologize. Like it's, it's a, it's, it's a rabbit hole of fuckery.
1: Mm -hmm. It is a rabbit
3: hole of fuckery. Rabbit hole of fuckery, guys.
0: I think that also comes into, like, some of the responses from the the worst human beings on Twitter, like, the literal, like, toe fungus of Twitter, (laughs) who then, like, were, were talking about how, like, what a skilled manipulation AOC did, as if, like... Because when a woman talks about her trauma or her experiences, trying to own an experience, they have to find some way to flip it so that she's actually the perpetrator. Like, no, she's the manipulator. This is a witch hunt. The women are, you know, the witches and the people being accused are the real victims. Like, it's not even enough that you have to be like, oh, women lie about being sexually assaulted, which like, That's not a thing. Why would you
1: lie about that? Yeah. Like, you there's there's just no reason to lie about that.
0: But it's not even enough that they have to accuse her of of lying or that like she's her story isn't true. But no, she has to be like the perpetrator. She has to be the, the villain of the piece that it's like it is insane to me that people are so sexist and cynical that that's their knee jerk reaction is to call her out for being a manipulator.
3: Mm-hmm. the one it made that used to make me so upset like so upset cuz like if you're in a male dominated environment a lot of the time it's like your reality or your lived subjective narrative experience can be seen as like such a different like it's not even on the radar of things and then what you realize is like for that guy for that troll on twitter or whatever the landscape in which he lives is like the alternative of that is so mind-shattering ground-shattering like would break his understanding of the world? Do you understand? Like if he acknowledged that that experience or pain of like AOC or whoever that person is, is is real. if Because now it's like, it shifts everything that you thought you knew and the ground beneath you. And that's that means it would shift who you think you are and who you are to other people. And so you're asking for an entire identity shift from this dude. And that's why people, I think, hold on to that that um identity of like she has to be lying because there's no way this could be true, because who does that make me right. in the world?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that they're also confessing by accusing? I've noticed that that's mm-hmm. a real popular uh, it's a it's a real uh, it, it's very widespread. Um, a lot of times when people <laughs> accuse you of something very ugly that you're like, What the fuck? I would never. it's it's them assuming because they would do something that everyone else would also. Do that. I mean, Alyssa, do you think that Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz are people who pretend to have emotions in a bad faith way, and that's why that they're that's why they're accusing AOC of it?
2: Mm. I don't know. I just think they're really bad people, like just really, really bad people. and they just think that anything that happens to a woman, especially a brown woman, is a
1: lie. Like mm-hmm. I just think that
2: they're that.
1: I mean, if you're Ted Cruz, it doesn't it doesn't even matter if someone's doing bad things to your wife. Apparently, it's true. I mean, any
2: woman. Donald Trump couldn't have said more bad things about Ted Cruz's wife, and he's like, "All's forgiven. Get me back on the team." He yeah. should be
3: banned from getting to use movie quotes. I, Aaron, you you were like you like did a whole thread about like how he gets to quote movies, and I was like, no one who made these movies likes you. Like you really shouldn't be allowed to poorly. Literally, the any people movie. who
2: made the movies came out and were like, "What the fuck are you talking about?"
1: Yeah. <laughs> a, a producer from from The Watchmen was yeah. like, "I have no idea what this is." No, like, literally, nobody <laughs> has been like right on Ted. <sighs> literally, get my words out of your mouth. Yeah, I used to, I was in a writer's room with um, his college roommate, who is the guy who created Chernobyl. Um, brilliant mm-hmm. dude. That guy fucking hates Ted so much. Craig, Craig Mason <laughs> is his name. Craig is a very, very nice, very nice guy. Super funny. Very smart. Hates Ted. I have a theory that Ted really wishes that he had Craig's life. And he super doesn't. I think that's
0: totally true. So many of these, like, alt-right assholes really want to make it in Hollywood and really wish that they had, like, the success and cachet of of so many people who, like, they – whose lives they have to watch on Twitter. Mm -hmm.
2: I love it, too, because half of them, they kind of live out their coolness that they want by, like – when they're out campaigning and they feel like rock stars and then they do something like play a song from 38 Special and 38 Special sends a cease and desist. It's like, stop playing my music. <laughs> Allman Brothers are like, stop playing our music. Everyone, yeah. the village people,
1: stop playing our music. Dropkick Murphys were like, Scott Walker, please fucking knock it off. The Dropkick Murphys hate you. You are you were not doing the right thing.
0: <laughs> they also seem like they could beat you up. I wouldn't totally. want the Dropkick Murphys to be mad at me. No, ever. they're
1: just, they're here for a fun time. And if you're <laughs> fucking with people's fun time, they will kick you with your boots. Um, <laughs> it they will drop, the you. It is in the
3: title. <laughs> it is in the as title. advertised.
1: Um, you know, I th- I think that you guys, uh, Dana, you bring up a really interesting point about like jealousy uh, <sighs> and, uh, and I and I hate this. You're just jealous thing because it's often wielded against people in order to shut them down, but I really think that Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz are jealous of AOC. So jealous. Oh
0: my god, of course they are. They could only dream of getting those live numbers. She is a communi- she is able
1: to communicate with a young generation and a gener- and people who are generally turned off by politics in a way that no other politician can. She's mm. she's like uh somebody compared her Instagram lives to FDR's fireside chat and I <laughs> really are. I yeah. really think they, they kind of are. Um, and it does seem like there's a lot of jealousy, but nobody ever accuses men of being jealous. We only accuse women of being jealous of each other. But it's clear that these fuckers are jealous of her.
2: Look, that little yeah. Madison What's-His-Name from North Madison Carolina, Madison. he told on himself when he was like, <laughs> I admire
1: AOC. Uh, he doesn't admire her policy. He admires her fame.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mm.
1: I mean— look, we haven't even gotten into him lying about training for the Paralympics yet because that's the funniest shit in the world. But um, Alyssa, I want to, I want to ask you this, like, what do you think the right thing is for Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz to do? Is there something that they can do to make, to atone for what they did, not just to AOC, but to everybody who worked in the Capitol on that day? And what do you think they will do? So, like, what should they do and what will they do? I mean, well, the number one thing they
2: could do, at least as it relates to AOC, is just, like, be silent and stop trying to make her trauma about yourself because it is kind of about you but not in the way you're trying to make it. But, no, I actually – here's the thing. I think that if uh, Mr. Hawley, who gave this symbol when he was walking in on that day to the people who were protesting outside, if he had stopped there and then been like, you know what, Mm. this fucking shit got out of hand – wasn't aware and if he had stopped there but he he didn't i mean the thing with those two fuckers is that they later after everyone was accounted for they did a bed check made sure all the members were still alive and nobody had to go to the hospital and they went down to finish the business of the body and finish the electoral college vote they were like you know what let me just throw down a couple more objections for good measure like th- that to me was the point of no return mm. which yeah. is a Kansas song, not 38 special, but in my head it was 38 special. And they just, uh, that's it. There's nothing. They can't atone. They are who they are. They have to wear this coat for the rest of their lives. Like the shame of what they did and who they supported. And when, even after all the bad shit they did, even up until 2 o'clock that afternoon, if they had once everybody was safe and accounted for said, she's got out of control. Let's fucking lock this election down and let's move on. That might've been one thing, but they haven't. So there's no forgiveness. They have to like live with us for the rest of their lives.
3: Hmm. What about the violence in the language too? There totally. so much, I mean, I think that's one thing that is kind of glazed over out of this story. When you hear like Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley retell it, like I objected, that's my right. But what about all of the violence in the language, all of the inciting to riot in this language? That's a big piece of this story. Totally. Your words have impact and you- mm. You you were an active part of that that inciting to violence, and that's where it you know when they're like I can't exercise, you know the the Josh Hawley being muzzled article, right. for instance. It's like, but but you're forgetting you're forgetting that you really were instrumental in inciting the riot that put other people at risk, and that's the part of this that's always been the thing with free speech that you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to use it to harm other people. Mm
0: -hmm. It's like when they can't win an argument on its merits, they have to then uh, victimize themselves as the victims of this cancel culture of like, no, you just think the wrong people are being canceled. You just don't like that people dislike what you're saying and are telling you to shut up. Mm -hmm. So now instead of arguing the actual point, you're going to create this like, Victim complex around you that you're the one being silenced, and that's now the main, most important issue.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times when when people on the right complain about cancel culture, they're complaining about consequence culture. Like <laughs> right? you, you did something. You have to ex. You you, you did, did something. You did a thing. Yeah. You did a yeah. thing. Like there used to be a column on this now defunct <laughs> website called ExoJane called "It Happened to Me." And uh, at, when I was on staff at this other women's website, we used to make fun of it because most of the things did not happen to you. It's like, it happened to me. I was racist in a yoga class and got banned. It's like, no, you did that. You, you, I did it to myself. You did it to yourself. It didn't happen to you. You're experiencing consequences for your actions. Freedom is not freedom from consequences in any universe. You don't get to just do whatever the fuck you want and then not have anything happen. Dana, do you think there's any healing from this? Like w- what can happen in order for us to move forward and be okay with it?
0: Unfortunately, I feel like the worst consequence of of Trump and like the things that he's done is showing off the success of a strategy of shamelessness and refusing to Totally. uh apologize and like acknowledge when you've done wrong. And I feel like that's what like wieners like Ted Cruz are trying to emulate. It's like, no, if I just like double down and refuse to show shame, then none of these consequences can stick to me Mm -hmm. where, I mean, the way to heal is for them to acknowledge a shared reality, which is like, it was wildly fucked up objectively that these people stormed the Capitol on the lie that this election was stolen. Like, for any healing to happen, they have to acknowledge that shared reality first, and and I haven't seen that. Mm-hmm.
1: Karen, do you think there's any healing? Do you think they need to like resign? Like what needs to happen?
3: Yeah, that shared reality thing hits hard, Dana, because it's like how do how I I I I want to believe in a world where like there could be a reconciliation, but when you hear people living into distinct realities, two really distinct realities that don't seem to match up. I, I do wonder, how do you find this? How do you find the space for it not to feel like one side won or lost if we can't find that common ground? To me, the win out of this is like, is honestly AOC's eloquence and that that willingness to kind of say, like to be in like the glass of funhouse mirrors and not let those trolls silence you and and kind of stick to her guns and say like this is what I felt and this was real and not not let herself be shut down by what a culture said was appropriate. Um I think there's a lot of power and strength in that and I hope I hope that lesson resonates and can have some ripple effect outside of this event.
1: Yeah, it's I, I think one thing that I've taken away from this is I don't I think AOC, you know, ironically, in publicly talking about her vulnerability and the fact that she experienced trauma and that she is not okay with this, um, I really think that it showed her strength. And I don't think that there's any way that any of these guys um, can possibly silence her or get her down. I think it just like makes her more inclined to speak up, which Mm -hmm. is why she is wired to be. In Congress, like she is, mm. she is afraid, but she keeps going. And there's something that's so—I uh, don't think that people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and the Knucklehead Wiener Caucus—we'll call them Dana to use <laughs> use her word Wiener—we need to use more. I think it's a yeah. Great it was. A, I also
3: I also did clock that the
1: use of Wiener. I was like, thank mm-hmm.
3: you. Wiener I am caucus. a writer. Sort of <laughs> fell
2: out of the lexicon. <laughs>
1: Um, I just I think the Wiener caucus (laughs) underestimates um, how ineffective they are going to be in silencing her. Yeah. Um, Alyssa, any final thoughts on uh, AOC's video and what should happen and or or any other insults you want to throw at Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz or any (laughs) any of those?
2: No, I was just gonna say. I think it's funny that Anthony Weiner would belong in the Weiner Caucus. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's true. That's sorry,
1: true. but ironically, not Dick Durbin. But a so, weiners in the in the Weiner Caucus, but not Dick. No, not Dick. Cool. Score one for Dick.
3: Alyssa's like sorry, but also you're welcome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have to take a break, but when we come back, a special award season fight club
0: as a chef and a restaurant owner I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients that's why I love made in cookware each pan they make isn't just designed to perform
1: it's crafted to last as a mom I love that I can trust made in it's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use made-in-cookware. And welcome back. All right, guys, uh, we were going to do I Feel Petty this week, but instead, I think we should fight about something. You guys want to fight about something?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm to fight. fight yeah, fight, fight,
1: Let's fight. fight. Let's fight. Um, Dana broke some news to us when we were taking a break after personal political. And Dana, I would love for you to share what you shared with us.
0: Well, the Golden Globe nominations dropped. And aside from a blatant snub of uh, Rachel McAdams in Eurovision, the big shocker to me was multiple nominations for Emily in Paris. (laughs) The uh, television series that is uh, at once uh, completely unwatchable and a series that I watched in its entirety in a single day.
1: Okay. So when you told us that, I haven't watched Emily in Paris because I just have been living my life instead of doing it. Um, But I kind of want to watch it now because everybody I know who I respect has been like, it's so bad. I watched it all. Um, and that inspired me to pose this question to everybody. Uh, what is an award-winning film that you think sucks the most? Award-winning film sucks the most. Um, here's one that, I mean, I, everybody thinks Crash is bad, because it is. It's it's aged very terribly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, this is always very controversial, three billboards fucking sucked. Ooh. I cannot stand 3 Billboards was one is one of the worst films I've ever seen and I could I thought it was uh, about an hour in I was like is this funny? Is <laughs> what is this movie? I thought it was terrible. So d- I would say that my my pick is 3 Billboards with a Dallas Buyers Club rising.
0: I never saw 3 Billboards but uh Ian uh my boyfriend also hates it. So I trust both of your opinions.
1: Oh, good. You picked a good one, Dana.
0: I've heard that people really hate that film.
1: Like, like, but it's, or some people
3: hate it. I've heard some people hate it. And it's like, if you don't like it, you don't like that movie. You know, what, can you go into a little more detail about what you didn't like about it?
1: It felt like it was delving into hyper realism because it's about a woman who is, uh, a mother who is in pain and mourning the death of her child. Um, But it also is completely unrealistic. It supposedly takes place in a small town in Missouri, uh, Ebbing, Missouri. And uh, everybody there has a different accent. Look. (laughs) (laughs) There shouldn't be like half the people have a weird Southern accent. Half the people sound like they're from Pennsylvania. And then there's some people who sound like they're from Minnesota. Like, I hate the trope of like, every small town is in the South. All Martin McDonough would have had to do is... Fucking go to a small town and be like, oh, (laughs) everyone talks the same. Come on, I love Frances McDormand. I think she's such a great actor. Um, This is not a reflection on on the people who are in the film. It is a reflection on the film sucking. That's my take (laughs) on three points. Karen, what's your like as a as a filmmaker? What is your like least favorite award winning film?
3: This is a this is a great question. That's why I I wanted to know. I wanted you to go into a little detail on what your issues with. The accent thing is hilarious. Like Martin McDonough, is he is, in, he is from the United Kingdom. And this he is should what happens. Know. He should Does know. It, but he doesn't know. because he he's not know. He's like, it all sounds generally the same. I feel like when you get people who are British and they're like, you know, they hear Americans do an accent. And to us, they're all like, oh, they're all like water, water. <laughs> like, it's fine. They all sound the same. They're all just a little loosey-goosey with the talking words. You know? <laughs> it's like, that's so, I don't know if he would have I mean, bless his heart. I don't know if he would have
1: specifically ever been able to get the accents right. You need to be a vocal coach on that movie, Aaron. I would 100% be a vocal coach. I love, I mean, I'm a big hoe for accents. I love listening to, <laughs> I love diphthongs. I love the way that people pronounce things. I love noticing, I love people who have like a little bit of a lisp. I find that very cute. I love voices and the way people say things. Honestly, I will sit on set and listen to people talk all day. Love it. And tell it, be like, you're talking wrong.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You're not talking good. Um, Green Book. I think Green Book was one that that was just like, what, what, what are you talking about? Like, truly, what are you talking, like, truly, truly what is happening? Do you know, like, why is it that, you know, like a black man's story has to be ushered through a white man's lead. Like when we already know that's a trope and a problem, like I get if you got that wrong in like 1970, (laughs) 1980, even 1990. But the fact that like the Academy was just like, was just like, we see you and we raise you a green book. (laughs) (laughs) Please internet, have your way with us. Do you know what I mean? Like it just struck me as so spectacularly just just toned up and reflective of who the population is, who made up the Academy, right? Like it's like, and and to their credit, I think they're really trying to work on like opening it out because like what everyone on this panel thinks is a good movie might be different than what like an 80 year old dude thinks is like a good movie, right? Like we all have tastes and opinions that might be a little bit different. So that's why it's important to get this is just like me, like pitching to the. It's very also weird to 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 shit on the academy specifically when you are putting something <laughs> up to the academy to be like,
1: pick me, please, pick me. Maybe you're yeah. negging them. You're like doing yeah. the thing where it's like, you know, you would be pretty if you smiled more.
3: You yeah, know, this that's is that
1: book. What's the, that book called? The hustler, the, the player, the game,
3: the game,
1: the guy who doesn't have sex enough. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, Green Book is a fair entry. Mahershala Ali is such an incredible actor, too. He's, I think he's the Meryl Streep of his generation of male actors. They're both
3: wonderful. They're both wonderful actors. I mean, it's really, again, it's really a reflection on, like, the story and the way it's shot. And, like, it's a reflection. And and the sequence of events that you It's just, like, and the way you choose to tell it. And, like, whose point of view is this? Whose point of view is this movie from? Like, one Mm -hmm. guy's a dope piano player who's, like, traveling the, you know— traveling the, the country doing this thing. And one guy's his driver. And it's like, let's really make sure to like center this driver though. Cause it seems like that's really where the heart, the meat and potatoes of this is, which is upsetting contextually.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Why was it about the driver? Is it because like, and would it have been about the driver if like that driver was black? Or is that mm-hmm. person then just like the cabbie? Do you understand? Like that's yeah. the part about it. That's like, it's in, it's in the context of like movie history. Anyway,
0: I was saying, and it wasn't it also that the the pianist's real family was like, that is not at all what their relationship was. (laughs) They weren't friends. They were acquaintances at best. (laughs) Like they turned it into this like, you know, cross racial friendship that like the real people are like, that's not, I mean, good for you, but that's not what happened.
1: (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. I forgot about that. That was just like, oof. Yeah. You don't want to, you want to do that. That's annoying. Um, I think it was a book, right? It was a book before it was a movie. But, you know, there's plenty of IP from the perspective of not the driver. Anyway, (laughs) um, Alyssa, do you have an entry to the award-winning but you don't like it list? I hate Pulp Fiction.
0: Ooh, this is a real fight club. I hate pulp fiction. Just hate it. Why do
2: you hate it? I just hated it. It was like violent. I didn't think it was cool. I mean, bear in mind, I was a (laughs) freshman in college when this came out literally i had been a fresh and then, i
3: didn't think it was cool violent and i think i didn't think it was cool or actually just, two just of the best thing since i ever like it was heard. so
2: overdone i hate things that are just that everyone gets on board and they're just like this is the fucking coolest thing ever how many times have you seen Pulp fiction and i was like oh my god to the point that if i hear any song mm. from the soundtrack i get mad <laughs> mm. i can't you, son of a Preacher like, man needs hate. to be yeah. retired i can't ever <laughs> hear it again <laughs> but it's like i tried everyone was like you guys want to go into town and see Pulp Fiction, and I was like, oh, God, of all the things to see, okay, I'll go. I had nightmares for weeks. I didn't think it was that funny. Everyone seemed to be sweating all the time. I hated it. I hated it.
0: They do sweat a lot. Right? It's mm, uncomfortable.
2: Yeah. yeah. That's it. So there you go. I hated Pulp Fiction. Note to self,
3: Alyssa does not like watching people be wet.
2: I don't. <laughs> okay, look at my repertoire of things I love. It all takes place in, in snowy climates. You
1: must have, you, did you, so you liked The Revenant? Because there is snow, but there's also water. No,
2: no, okay. no, because I do not want to see what happened to the bear. Okay, so that oh, was yeah. a no for me. I was afraid.
1: Yeah, I heard that the experience of being on that set was just fucking miserable. Kind of like doing Titanic. Mm. I also heard that Tom Hardy is insane. And at one point when he was on set, he put the director in a sleeper hold. Because <gasps> he, he got mad at him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, mm-hmm. I appreciate that level of
2: animation.
0: <laughs> yeah. And yeah, when men do that, no one will ever call him difficult. They'll just say he's like spirited. Yeah.
3: Or, yeah. Like, or like, oh, he's method. He's yeah. just really in the, he's moment. Just so he's in the not, moment. He's so in the moment. He's not crazy. He's just in the moment, man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I wish that there was a woman who would put a director in a sleeper hold. I think if it was any, I think Frances McDormand out of any yeah. A-list oh, actress great. would be the one. Oh, and great. I admire the hell out of it, honestly. I'm When I say Tom Hardy is insane, I'm like, I say that because he's also a great actor, and I'm glad that he's in stuff. Um, Dana, you used to do pop culture criticism for yeah. Entertainment Weekly. So what is your entry into the bad movie that wins awards?
0: I have a few takes, so I am I apologize in advance. Uh, I think the, the funniest thing is The Martian is a great movie. Like, I enjoyed it. It's like a great airplane movie. But it's very funny to me still that it won for Best Comedy at the Golden Globes. Because no one's <laughs> ever been like, oh, the the hilarious Martian, the man <laughs> stranded on Mars, growing potatoes. What a comedy. Also, <laughs> the fact that you go, the best airplane movie. I just love it the is. fact that, like, it's all of like, these
3: people, when they made this movie, they're like, maybe we'll change lives. We'll make people think about space. And and Dana's just like, yeah, man, I watched it on the airplane. Like, it's just That's it. It was
0: great. Also, and you know what? Well, fuck those people, because they said it was a comedy. So I hope they didn't think they were changing the world. Also,
2: post-2020, <laughs> I watched The Martian two weeks ago, and I have to say, it wasn't a comedy. That shit made me cry. When his potatoes blew apart, I was like, fuck, that was just like August.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, th- I also, there's a bunch of bad movies that sometimes sneak into the Oscars for, um like, costume or makeup. The movie Suicide Squad, which was just awful on every level, won an Oscar, I'm reminding everyone, for best hair and makeup styling. A terrible movie that won an Oscar. Mm -hmm. And then, so that's like in the serious answer. But then also, sometimes it's very funny to me that a movie will win best picture or an actor will win uh, best actor and it'll just have no cultural impact at all. Do you remember the movie The Artist? Yes, a film mm. I enjoyed. I think I saw it in the theater. There was a dog I I in it, right? It. There yeah, was an, there's a, a dog an actor. Dog. It was cute. That movie won Best Picture. The lead actor won Best Actor, and it was like Men in Black wiped from everyone's brain. <laughs> mm. Like I forgot about it until you brought it up. Yeah, Me too. yeah. that actor yeah. I remember was in. I think Hail Caesar. Like. The year after mm-hmm. he won Best Actor at the What's Oscars, his name?
1: it's like Jean. It's not Jean Valjean. That's the guy from Les <laughs> it's, it's.
0: I mean, it might as well be. He's <laughs> One a French day guy. More. But I remember seeing it, him in.